right. Joining us today, Aaron Bruno of AWOL Nation. Man, how you doing today? I'm good. You know what? I'm jealous because you have the fancy Abbey Road poster in the back, and I just got some wood up here around me. You know, I'm just 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 existing with the shirt on, you know. So uh, next time I'll have like a Led Zeppelin poster in the background. <laughs> well, I'm jealous <laughs> because you could actually play something from Abbey Road in front of fans, and I just have to sit here and watch. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but thank you for saying so. At some point. Uh, do me a favor. Let's go back 10 years. Megalithic Symphony comes out. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's take it back one year prior because what was unique about this album was your biggest hit sale was released as an EP beforehand. Sure. Now, one, did you know that you had an immediate hit with sale? No way. Um, that sale was just a song I wrote. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit briefly. Um, I was in a couple bands before that were both signed and both had all the, all the, uh, ambition and hope in the world and and they didn't work out uh both bands broke up so a wall nation was was a new project i had created um just to be able to express myself and finally um make music that had no rules and could be my own so i could look in the mirror at the end of the day and say hey you did your best and it failed and that's okay <laughs> and couldn't point the finger at anyone else right so um I think that it was just the first time I had an opportunity to be completely um, free without any boundaries. And well, um, you, you talk about those boundaries for a second, because those prior bands you were in more were more punk genre and you completely yeah. departed from that in forming AWOL Nation. Well, I'd kind of covered the whole, the whole spectrum in a lot of ways. I was in a hardcore band then a, well, I was in a punk band at 15, then a hardcore band, then a more melodic rock band, and then kind of a seventies, almost disco throwback band in under the influence of giants it was called and um so by the time i started AWOL, i thought now seems like a good time to blend all of these genres of music i like so much and uh do my own thing and and hey no one's gonna hear it anyway so i may as well do something ridiculous right and uh here we are 10 years later talking about this well like a lot of, a lot of people um have tried to attempt to try and sort of categorize your style um, with AWOL Nation as sort of, um, and they ask you that question and you're like, oh, well, I like to leave it up to the fans. And I was listening to it and I'm fairly new to the material, but um, I wanted to sort of attempt to try and um, classify it. And I was thinking like alternative synth, pop, rock, punk. But uh, when I heard you guys live, it, it, it was kind of different. Like I went from the album, like um, Megalithic Symphony, to watching you guys live in uh, Cincinnati 2019, which was like the energy that transferred over in your live sort of set was just spellbinding, you know, almost compared to the album. And um, right. I was getting Kurt Cobain because a lot of the sort of lyric lines like repeat over themselves. Like he likes to really sort of drive that nail home, like by repeating certain phrases. And um, I was thinking it's almost been produced by Prince um, when I was hearing the album. I didn't get that live, but when I was hearing the album, I got that. Any sort of thoughts on that? Uh, thank you. <laughs> the only thoughts I have really, you know, you, you just brought up two of my favorite artists. And I think with the live record, um, I mean, sorry, with the recorded album, you know, that's a time capsule and a moment and you try your best to, uh, 
to you know make the song seem as relatable or or as good as you can make it sound and then when you go to play these songs live for an audience adrenaline kicks in and you know you've had time to live with the song and think of ways that it could even be better or enhanced for the live experience i think the last thing any of us want to see is this just the recorded version with people on stage so we always want to take it to another level and also the guys in my band um, hard work pay off and show show off and i get on my shoulders a lot of ways but thank you for saying those really kind words for sure Aaron, when we go back to Sale, we had mentioned that you, it was released as an EP before the Megalithic Symphony album. Um, at what point did you realize you had a hit with Sale? And because Sale was constructed in a way in which you knew it would somewhat be a catchy song, it was, it was a catchy song to the ear, was there an additional pressure writing the additional material for Megalithic Symphony? Um, when I was writing all the songs for Megalithic Symphony, uh i i never thought sale would be a single necessarily um sale became a single only because we thought it would be important to release an ep first um and a little fact that a lot of people don't know is that a song called burn it down was actually the single it was or it was supposed to be the single that's the only track yeah and so somewhere along the line um a, a gentleman by the name of Toby Ryan in Austin, Texas, decided to play Sale instead because he just had a feeling that at the very least it would be a weird thing to do. And he did that. And um, I remember thinking, wow. And at the time there was no radio edit. So I think it was over five minutes long. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. I'll be on the radio for five minutes just once. How cool is that? You know, with, with a song that I was really proud of. Um, and at the very least, I was I was excited to show my friends and, and my brother and family members because I thought it was a cool song. Um, but by no means that I think that uh, it would become the phenomenon that it became. I mean, that that song in particular, I mean, that album was phenomenal, but that song in particular, that changed your life. It did. And it and it and it, and it remains that way. You know, it continues to grow um, in in new ways and um I don't know. I don't know what to do with that information. You know, it's, it's still very uh, shocking, humbling and um, hilarious thing that that's, that's happened. You know, I mean, most people know that song, you know, and, and uh, I'll tell you that, that there was so much failure leading up to this point that, um, that it, it's, it's almost hard to recognize or uh, compartmentalize in a lot of ways. So um, I'm very grateful to say the least. Do me a favor and take me back to your earliest influences. I mean, you talk about how you had many incarnations of different bands, experienced, uh, experimented with different genres. But what did you grow up with? What was your earliest recollection of music? A lot of pop music in the 80s with my mom, you know, driving me to school and Little League practice. And uh, so that would be a lot of Prince, um, Michael Jackson, Madonna, uh george michael was huge for me um and then my older brother came to live with me we had different moms he came to live with my side of the family when i was going into fourth grade and he was going to be a freshman in high school so all of a sudden i had this cool older brother to look up to and he brought with him a bunch of records he brought um rare hip-hop vinyl and this was before this was before you know vanilla ice and the beastie boys and uh mc hammer kick the door into the mainstream you know um so it's harder to find so we were listening to 
really good. You know, this is when Public Enemy was still underground, basically. Like like NWA and yeah, of course. Yeah. So so I got to steal and listen to his vinyl when he wasn't home, and um, that was a huge influence to me because um, something about the beats were to me superior than any rock music, and so I've always loved. Um, I've always been searching and in love with with a certain kind of groove that does something to me. And um, so that was a big influence. And then of course, discovering Nirvana, you know, uh, going full circle to the previous question that changed everything for me. Cause here was a guy that was, you know, playing almost nursery rhymes with very uh, relatable lyrics. Um, at least to me at the time, cause I was at a very um, impressionable age, you know, going into high school and going through having a lot of different hormones um, at the age of 13 through 15. Right. And everything's changing and, um, you know, high school, all that getting bullied, you know, the, the whole thing. And, and, um, so Nirvana was everything. Nirvana was like the gospel to me, you know? And so that actually got me excited to, um, pick up my guitar and it, at the very least try to learn how to play Nirvana songs in my bedroom. Um, you know, never planning on sharing that with anyone. And um, it took a long time before I ever sang in front of anyone. I'm guessing that your favorite Nirvana album would be Bleach, maybe? Yeah, that's what I was going kind of, with. No, no, aside. heavier. It's a little heavier, maybe? No, not Bleach, because Dave Grohl didn't play on, on Bleach. And, and Dave Grohl was so superior as a drummer that, um, you know, in utero was huge incesticide was huge of course i mean everybody knows smells like teen spirit but um and uh but the unplugged album i would say of of all of them even though you know that's not that's not an album of original songs but all the covers they did that was oh. probably the most impactful of all of the nirvana it, it definitely feels but, like another album doesn't it that like, led uh, cover was insane yeah yeah i i've talked to that song quite a bit um but that 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 song haunted me for months and months and months, you know, because remember back then when, when a song came out on how do you, MTV. How do you sleep last was, night, was it? Yeah. 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 And I was yeah. just talking to Matt Pinfield about this, actually. Um, I think he was there at the, at the recording and he and I just did an interview for this 10 year anniversary. And um, we were talking about Nirvana and, and um, you know, it's, it's devastating that we didn't get to hear more songs from Kurt. And, you know, last I heard, he was going to do an album with Michael Stipe from R.E.M. And how cool would that have been, you know? Um, yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, Nirvana is, is known for their power and, and um, aggression in a lot of ways. But the sensitivity is really what got me. Yeah. Did you ever hear his uh, cover of a Beatles song, And I Love Her, on that release that came out a few years back? Yeah. Uh, were you ever like a Beatles fan yourself? Of course. You can't really get, you can't be a true music lover without going through your own um, sort of schooling system of knowing every Beatles song, you know, from yeah. from rarities to every album front to end. And um, the Beatles are kind of, uh, for me, it's so intense to me that I'll take breaks. So right now I'm currently off. So I probably won't listen to a Beatles album or song for at least another year, maybe longer. And then I'll go through the whole thing again. And that's how it goes. When you, when you come back, it's like, it's familiar to you, but it's just a, an experience that you almost need to have almost. Yeah. Like, everybody, everybody, a couple of years, but yeah. 
You know, that's so funny, Aaron. That's exactly how I listen to him too. It's like, like I'll, I'll go on the journey and I'll be like, I don't want this to end. I have to stop right now so I can continue it again later. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to OD on the Beatles because it's easy to do, you know, and same <laughs> with Nirvana and same, same within the same with Radiohead's okay computer, you know, I'll go through phases where I just don't listen to it for a while and then I'll revisit it or any of these albums that changed my life, you know, or any of the punk rock music or hardcore music. It's nice to take a break and, and try to discover new music. I'm constantly trying to find a song that I've never heard before. And it doesn't mean to be a new artist or a new song. It's just something that I haven't heard before. And that's really, really important for me to keep growing. It's so interesting to hear your influences, what you grew up listening to, what you were exposed to, because AWOL Nation is really comprised of it all. I mean, we've got electronic synthesized beats, we've got rock and roll, we've got pop. Your signature screaming, I mean, now I know that comes straight from Kurt Cobain. <laughs> yeah, he's, it's, it's probably some sort of combination of that and, and maybe Zach De La Roca from Rage and, and a, lot of, a lot of hardcore singers that I love, you know, that are less known as well and and metal singers and you know i was just talking to another singer friend of mine about this the other day and, and i'm not, not a traditional you know singer singer like an american idol kind of individual right and um mostly i'm just trying to survive when i'm singing you know and, and, and try to find find the best way to um to service the song idea rather than necessarily be a great singer you know what I mean? And, and within that comfort zone, then it's at least authentic. But when you're trying to sing like someone else or try to uh, do something that doesn't come natural, then I think that it comes across as, uh, as something that people can't believe in. So um, I've always tried to be at the very least as honest as I can with the vocals I record. So, so on that, on the sort of screaming, sort of uh, coming from that sort of screaming vibe, but also sort of singing as well, like kind of apart from the screaming, um, when it comes to, say, Lennon and McCartney, you've got Lennon's sort of shredded asphalt sort of uh, throaty scream, right, uh, which he kind of developed from Twist and Shout. And then you've got um, Paul later on with um, I've Got a Feeling where he's got that sort of alpha yell. And it's almost like they kind of grew together sort of trying to outdo each other with this sort of macho sort of, oh, you know. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which sort of one would you prefer voice-wise? Like, who, who do you reckon has got the better scream? John seems more genuine to me, but Paul is such a good singer. Paul is probably a better singer pound for pound, but John's – it. I, that's like saying, who do you love more, your mom or your dad? I can't really oh, answer it, but, yeah. but, but, but I, could, I could go – you know, my wife would say John Lennon 100%. We always talk about this. I say, yeah, I know, but like – put on Paul McCartney Ram right now. And let's say that you still, feel that's that a way. masterpiece. You know, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to, I reserve the right to not answer the question, but I could argue either side. I really could. You've, yeah, um, exactly. you've done cover songs before one in particular, uh, you collaborated with 21 pilots for Hey Jude. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, we did. Um, Tyler left me a voicemail saying, Hey, when we do this tour, I want to do Hey Jude as a cover. Are you in? I said, of course, but, but reluctantly, because that's sort of like, you know, you don't cover Stairway to Heaven, you know, <laughs> and you don't ever attempt Hotel California and you certainly don't try Hey Jude. Right. But we did it and it was pretty easy. Cause I mean, it wasn't easy. I, I know the song so well that I wasn't super worried about it. And I thought at the very least, I won't be the person to mess this up. And, um, uh, 
luckily, luckily, um, it went over just fine. He's a great singer and he's a good piano player too. So he was, he was wonderful. So getting back to megalithic symphony now, it's the 10 year anniversary. You've put out an additional copy of this is what's the difference between the 10 year anniversary edition compared to the original edition from 2011. Well, we saw it as an opportunity to release a bunch. I don't know if I'd call them B-sides or bonus songs that um, period. And so we thought it was a good opportunity to release these songs. One song in particular is called uh, Cannibals. And it was a song that I, I actually played at maybe three or four of the shows early on. And fa some fans remember that song. And they've been asking for years, when are you going to release Cannibals over and over? And I thought, well, what better time than now? So we did it. And um, yeah, so little reasons like that, you know, mostly – Mostly this is for the fans that were there day one and hopefully any fans we've we've gained along the way appreciate it too. But you know, I'll never forget those early early days when it felt like we you know, some of these smaller shows that were I was so grateful to even sell out, you know, a small venue of fifty people or a hundred people or something like that, you know, and people are going nuts and feeling like you're part of this new um sort of underground family. And um you know, I'll, I still remember all these people by name. And, um, you know, so mostly this this anniversary package was 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 catered towards them, or at least I had them in mind in a lot of ways. Because then, you know, when you're younger, even with Nirvana going full circle, this became a Nirvana interview, of course. But <laughs> going full circle with Nirvana, like I remember loving them very much. And then certain people listening to them, too, and it kind of ruining, you know, that that discovery i felt like they were my best friends and then all of a sudden that one guy that picked on me or whatever was also rocking smells like teen spirit in the you know in the parking lot i'm like damn it's over you know and um i think kurt struggled with that too i think he looked out into the audience at one point and realized that he was playing for the p same people who picked on him and it bothered him a lot well does that well in that on that note, does it ever bother you that, you know, you're talking about the purists, you're talking about your fans from day one, and then with the popularity mm -hmm. of sale, gaining those additional fans? Did that, was there anything there that bothered you? No way. I mean, at the same time, um, maybe when I was younger, you know, and less mature, I would have felt that way. But I think that um, music is for everyone. And if music can help someone, I mean, what a great thing, you know, because there's a lot of ways that are recommended by uh, professionals to help us uh, that may or may not be actually helpful. And I think music is one thing we can all agree on is a, is a very natural way to at the very least lift our spirits. And sometimes when you hear a sad song, full circle back to the Beatles, uh, it can make you feel better. And it certainly does for me. And I think it does for you guys too. And um, so, you know, sale is yeah. kind of a sad song and it's, um, uh, you know, I, Along the years, I've met so many people that um, that song, and and I struggle to even say this, uh, but that it's you know, it's it's helped people to say the least, and it's it's really mind blowing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because some people that listen to music, if they listen to say sad music or depressing music, they actually feel happier because they can relate to it. Yeah. And others, others sort of react and go, "No, I can't do that. I always have to hear something positive to get me out of it." And I liken it to like a city, like if you go to a city um, with lots of people, you might feel really alone. Um, but other people, if they go to a city, they actually feel like they're a part of something really big. And it's just a very sort of subjective experience. And some people are just, they like cities, some people don't. And I, I liken that to sort of music as well.
I noticed you had like a, a grace tattoo on, on the side on that concert that I watched. And it was a font of uh, Jeff Buckley's Grace, I think. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, You're a big that, fan of that record. Yeah. Sort of, um, I remember singing really high at a younger age and my friends teasing me for that. And, um, you know, because I love Prince so much and, and Michael Jackson. So I'd sing in my falsetto and sing really high. And I, I, I sang a lot of, uh, you know, Cindy Lauper songs. And I could only hit those notes by singing in my falsetto and singing really high. Right. So, um, and, you know, Prince's Kiss, that song Kiss, like I would just sing that constantly over and over with my mom and my buddies would make fun of me for that. And then when I heard um, Jeff Buckley's Grace, I realized how it, it, it gave confirmation to me that it's okay to sing that high in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah. so that's why I got the tattoo and I was just head over heels in love with, with that album. You know? Have you ever heard his father, Tim? Of course, yeah. Man, like I, I remember being a Jeff Buckley fan and then my uncle showing me, you know, like this is his dad, you know, I was like, I had no idea. Yeah, and yeah really tragic. Blown, really blown tragic. Away. Yeah, he's he's it great. Is, yeah. We have some of his stuff on vinyl here and um really tragic family, you know. Um but Grace was so so important to me. His cover of Hallelujah obviously is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ever say that a cover version is better than the original because it's it's that's an unfair thing to say, but if there ever was a case that, that is true, it would be this probably. And um, I'm not saying it's better, but it's pretty close. And uh, oh my God, when I heard that song, you know. I've got to ask you this. Uh, I know we're running out of time. Um, sorry, Doug, I know you probably got a question, but um, I, I went on to Facebook to try and like find out a little bit more about you. And um, months, months ago, you said that you were adopting dogs and that you yeah. had like these dogs called Sally and Billy. Yeah, and um, I almost laughed because did you know there's a John Lennon song called Sally and Billy? I didn't actually know that. Is it? <laughs> and a good he, nev- song? <laughs> he never released it because it was like uh, a demo that he was working on. Oh wow! And uh, it's like on his lost Lennon tapes. And it's called Sally wow. and Billy. So yeah, he uh, we were supposed to be friends. So that's what you're trying <laughs> yeah. to tell me. Seriously, <laughs> it was it was this. Uh, so finally, Aaron, when you do perform Megalithic Symphony live for the live stream. Mm-hmm. Are you going to include these additional tracks? That is an unknown uh, possibility right now. I don't know. Um, if I, Cannibals would be the one song that we would probably do uh, that would make the most sense. Um, but more importantly, I'm just trying to survive playing these other songs and, and not messing them up. The good news is that we've played most of this record over the last 10 years, almost on every tour and every show. Um, so there's only three songs that, that we needed that, that, that were a little rusty, you know, but they feel fine. And these guys are so good that, that at the very worst, I won't be great, but they'll be fine, you know? So, um, no, and, you're and pretty I'm good, man. I, I saw your uh, vocal, you were hitting some of those high notes um, in this concert I was watching and I was impressed. I was like, no, you're able to get that range. And that band you've got is like, that drummer is so solid. And Thank the guitarist, he almost sounds like Hendrix, being sort of moved into a sort of Led Zeppelin mode. Um, just amazing musician. Yeah, well, again, I'm lucky to have these guys. Um, Isaac's my favorite drummer, and Zach, uh, Zach's my favorite guitar player. And he, his, his dad was the first drummer of the Chili Peppers. His name is Jack Irons. Oh, and dude. He, wow. So yeah, he also, wow. He also, played, uh, he also played drums in Pearl Jam. He, I was gonna say band. he discovered yeah. Eddie Vedder on a surfboard too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And he was in, he was in the band Eleven, so he's a great drummer. So Zach comes from this bloodline of, of 
greatness. So he just like, oh, yeah. Zach's yeah. also a great drummer. And so I'm just surrounded. My keyboard player, Dan's incredible. Um, I don't even know our bass player, Mark, really, but um, I love him to death. And uh, so I'm just very, very lucky that I'm, I'm finally around this, like, you know, I wouldn't call it a super group, but I, but I feel like these guys are some of the greatest, you know, musicians I've ever seen on stage. And when we're, when we're ready for it, we're ready to get back out on tour and just kill it, huh? I think so, yeah. I think so. <laughs> we'll awesome. see what happens. Well, Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget, uh, AWOL Nation, Megalithic Symphony, 10-year anniversary out now, and the live stream cover-to-cover performance from Aaron Bruno himself with the AWOL Nation, April 17th. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.